0: Hello and welcome to the Tech Disruptors podcast hosted by Bloomberg Intelligence. In this podcast series, we talk with CEOs and management teams about their views on disruption and how it is driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is Mandeep Singh and with me today is Sid Sidbranjic, CEO of GitLab. Sid, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Right. So I think there's a lot to cover given, you know, your company has IPO'd recently. And I wanted to maybe start off there in terms of how the journey has been as a public company. And really, you've seen quite a change in environment from the time you ipo to where we are, you know, in the first six months of this year. So just any high-level comments on how you had to adjust post-IPO?
1: Yeah, we're really glad we went public It went uh, very well. And it's great being a public company. It was an aspiration of us and it's great to be out right now. It's much more difficult to uh, go public. And that means being public means that your stock price goes up and down with the market, but we're focused on helping our customers realize the the long-term potential of DevOps and it's helped us to spread the message that there's a, a better, more efficient way to deliver software. It's created a lot of awareness for GitLab being public.
0: So you mentioned DevOps. And, you know, when we talk to investors, they tend to look at the cloud market in three broad segments, SaaS, PaaS, IAS. So if I'm correct and, and feel free to, you know, correct me if that's not the case, DevOps will be part of the PaaS segment. And so, you know, given you started off focusing on that functionality around, you know, creating repositories and giving developers options to do continuous integration and deployment. How do you fit into that broader PaaS market? I think, first of all,
1: we're cloud agnostic. So we're not uh, competing. In fact, we're partnering with AWS, GCP, IBM, and many more partners and with GitLab, People can host GitLab on any cloud, people can deploy to any cloud. Second thing is think of GitLab as, as like the, your, your, your control platform. So it's in many ways, more of a SaaS application to, to control your, your applications and, and your infrastructure, GitLab, with GitLab, you can centralize your development, your security, but also your operations, like deploying maintaining and monitoring all those apps so I, I don't think it it fits that need to fight per se it's a it's a way to go to the cloud faster so what we frequently see is that as companies move more and more from their data centers to the cloud that if gitlab is in there it's an accelerant and they're able to move to the cloud faster
0: But I guess if I were to look at it from a cloud stack perspective, right? So you've got, you know, the IAS, the infrastructure as a service guys providing the infrastructure. And then Microsoft comes in and says, okay, you can use a bunch of our tools. And they obviously have a lot of on-premise tools and on-premise customers that they want to migrate to the cloud. And they also acquired GitHub. So In terms of your selling motion, help us understand, you know, I understand you said you are cloud agnostic, but maybe like, how do you walk into an RFP and say, this is our differentiation versus, especially Microsoft, I'll come to Atlassian and other point products, JFrog, et cetera, later, but maybe we can start off there.
1: The reason that people pick GitLab is that it combines all the essential DevOps capabilities in one application, no other tools does that to the extent GitLab brings planning, CI, CD security, compliance, monitoring all into a single platform. And we're independent of any cloud, so you can host it anywhere, you can deploy to anywhere, and we're not trying to push you to a certain cloud. And it's really important for companies to have everyone on the same page, to have everyone on the same platform. Otherwise you're duplicating effort for each of the clouds you're using.
0: But with the underlying open source infrastructure is Git. So GitLab is also built on top of that. GitHub is also built on top of that. Probably there is a better UI and better integration, but just want to kind of, I think for the sake of this audience, like help us understand how do you maintain that differentiation over time, given we know, you know, the pitfalls of using open source software. And at times, you know, Amazon can tomorrow create their own version of Git and, you know, that could be a competitor uh, potentially.
1: So we're built on tons of open source projects, Git, um, Postgres, Plastic, Slash OpenSearch. All, all of these things are underlying technologies. But while GitLab started as just version control based on Git, it's evolved. The current solution is 10 times as broad and it goes all the way from planning. Think an alternative to JIRA, to securing, think an alternative to Black Duck, Veracode, et cetera, to monitoring and deploying the applications. So while we still have Git in the name, the actual solution is much broader than that.
0: So how would you characterize the mode in your business? Like what exactly is the mode and how long do you think you can maintain that? So what we do, what we help customers do
1: is replace not just their DevOps tools, but like all the custom code they had to develop to integrate those. So typically they have like 10 different point solutions. Mm -hmm. One does the planning, one does the source code management, et cetera, et cetera. And then they over time build up a lot of, digital duct tape to tie all of that together. With GitLab, they can over time replace that. According to a Forrester study, we replace about three point solutions a year. We do that year one, year two, year three. And when they do that, not only can they save costs on the software and save people on the integration efforts, like those are frequently their smartest people are now working, they can move from working on integrations to contributing to the business also their people get more effective because they don't have to context switch all the time. And most importantly, they can respond faster. And Goldman Sachs, they went from two weeks to two hours to improve their most important application due to GitLab.
0: So in terms of, you know, the adoption, and if I understand it correctly, you've got different kind of versions of the product, premium product, ultimate that has got all the features. So maybe, you know, if you can walk us through. How is the typical adoption sort of cycle in terms of a customer landing with a freemium product and then how long before they realize they need the premium? Yeah. So
1: sometimes we land on the free version. Sometimes we land on the ultimate version. What we typically see is that GitLab grows in the number of people that use it. Because as people start using it, they see that they have enormous productivity gains, that their cycle times get much faster and they decide to standardize on GitLab, we got best in class and net retention, and that's driven by primarily adding, adding more users to it. So that's the, the primary way in which we go. Sometimes customers say, look, I want to standardize. And, and this was the, the last earnings was the first quarter where we said, look, we now have C-level people coming in and they no longer need to be sold on. Hey, I want to standardize on a platform. They just want to make sure they're getting the best one. And that's a, that's a new development, but we see that more and more where people are moving from DIY DevOps, where they were responsible for the tool integration to a platform, according to Gardner, that's going to grow from 20% adoption this year to 60% in 2024.
0: So would you say you're moving up market now earlier it was mostly small and mid-sized businesses. Now you're landing with more enterprise customers.
1: The remarkable thing is enterprise has always been the majority of our business from the, from the very start. So we're not so much moving up market. I think what we're seeing is that the realization is there at the C-level that they need to move from DIY DevOps to a DevOps platform. And that's a first. We, we pioneered this when we moved from Git as version control to becoming broader. I think then the the analysts started predicting it, and now those predictions are coming true.
0: So how did you land up with enterprise customers? I mean, typically, we follow, you know, so many software companies here, which are high growth, and every company has a very different selling motion. If I were to compare Atlassian and Snowflake, very different selling motion, you know, in terms of direct sales force versus more word of mouth. So where would you put yourself in that spectrum of Atlassian versus Snowflake? think
1: open core, like having all the source code out there and be, for people to be able to inspect it and contribute back to it seems a new, fundamentally new and better go-to-market business model. And it's a fundamentally better R&D model. And that's how we got those big customers, they were there very early because they wanted DevOps is so essential to what they do. They wanted something they could trust, inspect modify, and with great R&D velocity where it was rapid innovation. And they found that open, open core projects and open source projects are much better at that. That's why they, they wanted an open source, open core project, even when it was GitLab of years ago, which wasn't as good as it, it, it's today.
0: So from what i'm hearing you're saying i mean given enterprise customers are already using it and you don't need as much of you know sales motion direct sales motion there is a lot of leverage in the business given you know the net retention rates are so good and uh, one of the concerns that i keep hearing from you know folks investors as well as free participants is the you know the cost of acquiring new customers is going higher because we are sort of entering in this slow economic growth environment where people aren't willing to try as many new products as they were doing before but i guess for someone like gitlab which already has that motion, you may not need as many salespeople to keep, you know, maintaining that pace of customer growth. We do have an extensive sales
1: motion because they might already be using GitLab, but they haven't like made it the company-wide standard. So we, we do a lot of talking with our customers to expand if they're already using it. We also have an extensive channel motion where we go to market together with partners like AWS and GCP and IBM. No one knows how kind of, what will happen in an economic downturn? We we have not seen any key business indicators change as of the last earnings call. We do believe there's a, a great case for GitLab. If you want to save money, companies want to save money by going from their data centers to the cloud, GitLab can accelerate that companies want to save money by consolidating from many vendors to one GitLab can accommodate that companies want to can have hiring stops, but they need to get more work done. We can make your existing people more effective and have the people who were doing the digital duct tape before move over to your business priorities. So there's lots of ways in which we can help customers even in the downturn.
0: So you said, you know, you help customers save money. I was about to ask you about. Any price increases that you have rolled out to the customers and how has that been viewed in terms of just, you know, your customers, I mean, sticking with your product, but just the receptivity to a price increase?
1: Yeah. A couple of, quite a while ago, I think a couple of years ago, we deprecated our most affordable plan and we were very conscious to do that in a customer friendly way, so customers got a really long time and and really attractive upgrade pricing. And not frequently is such is, is a thing kind of viewed as a success by the outside world. But I think in this case, we got a blog post from the Zora CEO that we got it right. And we're very proud of being, being customer friendly to the extent that that we can. And I think we got it right in that, in that case.
0: So, look, I I think when I look at DevOps as a market, nobody kind of predicted it would become such a big category in such a short span of time. I feel like the pandemic was an accelerant in terms of, you know, driving adoption for DevOps products, and it reflects in the numbers both for Atlassian and you guys and some others. So, help us kind of see through where the market is headed in the next five to 10 years. And even beyond this possible economic slowdown that we may see, like how, how will this market evolve going forward?
1: So the DevOps market is estimated at $40 billion and it's growing fast. We think what will happen is that we'll go, that DevOps platforms will go from 20% adoption to 60 and later 80% adoption. So. That's the big shift that's happening, going from DIY DevOps, with point solutions and digital duct tape to integrated platforms, one application, one screen, one data source, that's a big development. Another thing that is happening is that people not only need to manage their code with DevOps, they also need to manage their ML and AI models, and they need to manage their data better. And right now, those are three different. Uh, infrastructure stacks, but we're already adding ML ops functionality to GitLab to bring those worlds
0: together. So, does code have gravity in your definition, like similar to data gravity? Is that something, or like, do you think about in terms of driving how to drive more stickiness? The fact that you've been doing this and you've got so many code repositories that you have in your product.
1: Every company has to become a software company, and as software becomes more and more important more and more concerns around security, around making sure all of that is properly protected, around compliance is centered around that code. So I think we're we're in a great business and DevOps is becoming increasingly important. It's the way to become a software company. And that's very essential for every company to do that faster than ever.
0: Now, when I look at, you know, some of the workload stats, Currently cloud is still, I mean, depending on who you, you know, refer to is still 20 to 30% of the workloads. And I'm guessing that's what you are predominantly focused on. You're not doing anything to migrate the existing on-premise workloads from their on-premise repositories to cloud repositories. Is that a correct assumption? No, it's it's,
1: we help customers run code self-managed in the cloud anywhere else, like GitLab, LaPoise, to cars, to satellites. So we're agnostic. What customers do find is that when GitLab is in there, the transition to the cloud goes faster. And it's not just us and our customers seeing that, it's the cloud provider seeing that, and that's why AWS, DCP salespeople help GitLab get into accounts because they know the consumption will shift faster due to GitLab. If you bring everyone on one DevOps platform, you're going to be able to make bigger changes faster.
0: That's interesting. So if companies want to use more of containers and Kubernetes, you're saying GitLab is the first step in terms of using a cloud-based DevOps platform, and then they can migrate those things to containers and Kubernetes?
1: It's, it's a great first step, and it will accelerate the adoption of Kubernetes. That's at least what, what our experience is and what we've seen.
0: So would a company like HashiCorp be a competitor or would that, would they coexist with how the stack is in in terms of deploying those cloud workloads?
1: HashiCorp is more of an
0: infrastructure company.
1: We think very highly of what they make. You know, for example, GitLab has ample support for Terraform.
0: Again, think when, when we talk to investors, they... Think of, you know, a tech stack on the cloud and obviously it's still emerging and there are so many other players. I mean, even in the DevOps category, you've got a JFrog that's doing repositories, Atlassian that's doing broader project management. So maybe now is a good time to talk about market adjacencies for you. And look, you have a very successful product. It's got a, a great long runway, but at some point, all of the software companies, you know, they think about uh, expanding in adjacent markets, and we've seen that, you know, with ServiceNow, with Datadog, some of the companies that came before you, you know, to the public market. So, how how are you thinking about, you know, the adjacent uh, markets that you you could expand to?
1: We're already in ten of them. We replace ten categories of point solutions. We GitLab customers replace Jira with GitLab. GitHub with GitLab, Jenkins with GitLab. We replaced JFrog Artifactory with GitLab. And we're expanding even further into security, Faircode, Black Duck, etc. And we're adding monitoring functionality. We acquired OpsTrace to uh, make sure people can monitor with GitLab as well. So we, we are in those markets to varying degrees of maturity. Um, but we find and our customers find that they get a great return on investment over 400% return on investment in three years by consolidating those point solutions to a DevOps platform.
0: And do you think, I mean, looks like the product velocity seems to be a core advantage for you. I mean, all these were point products, but you clearly are expanding very quickly. And some of the competitors may not be able to catch up with the pace of, you know, the product development that you are seeing out there for, you know, GitLab's offerings. So what, like, maybe you can hone in a little bit on how GitLab is structured with regards to, you know, your decentralized structure. I mean, I feel like you are a pioneer when it comes to that DAO concept and wonder if that's something you know if you think will work out for the long term if you one day become a five to ten billion dollar company
1: we're a very boring public company we're not a distributed autonomous organization
0: no okay <laughs> we we are very good
1: in remote We got a great uh, remote handbook and remote playbook that uh, many people downloaded because we were the largest all remote organization before the pandemic. And we tried to share as many things that we learned as we could. The other thing is we're really good on being on an equal playing field with our customers and users, and they contribute to GitLab. Hundreds of improvements every quarter are driven from the wider community. Instead of making their own digital duct tape and every company doing that by themselves you are all contributing to one DevOps platform where everyone can benefit from it and you benefit from other people's contributions.
0: Maybe you can expand on how is your marketplace different from Atlassian's marketplace, which is your closest competitor. So if you want to contribute to Atlassian's code,
1: you can't because it's closed source. You, you can't even see the code. So you have to go to their marketplace. If you want to contribute to GitLab, you, you don't have to go through a marketplace. You can contribute directly to the application. It's, it allows you many more things. It, it allows you much more freedom and it allows for much more faster innovation because people are not on a, like they're all on 10 different things that they, they bought in the marketplace that everyone is using the same thing and everyone can improve the same thing so that that goes faster.
0: But you do, like GitLab does have a marketplace, right? So curious, how is it different?
1: We do not have a marketplace. That's the thing. The marketplace is an artifact of not being able to contribute to the main code base. It's putting your, it's collaborating, but leaving people outside your door with GitLab. They're welcome in the house.
0: Okay, so customers can develop functionality and make it available for others through contributing to GitLab's open source code?
1: Exactly, and also our, our closed source code. So GitLab is a combination of the two. Even our closed source code, You can view it, you can modify it, and you can submit improvements to it.
0: So you really think there is no risk from a hyperscale vendor copying all the open source code that's available? And I've asked the same question to, you know, Elastic and other companies that are in that position. But you really think that's not a risk for the company in, in the medium to long term?
1: I think our situation is very different because we're much more an application than a piece of infrastructure. GitLab interacts with, uh, people interact with GitLab through the interface, and it has like a whole bunch of functionality, like thousands and thousands of moving pieces and pieces that people interact with, it's very high fidelity. It's very different than the infrastructure thing that, that is a, a, a much more limited API. So I think it's, it's a very different case because we're an application and not infrastructure
0: okay and one question on just you know recession i mean since this is top of mind for a lot of investors so assuming you know we have a more bare case in terms of you know the soft landing that everyone is talking about how will or how could it affect you know a company like gitlab like what is your thinking in terms of what you would have to do to navigate that period where Both, you know, your valuation may take a hit as well as your business. So how do you position yourself to just navigate a downturn?
1: Yeah, I already talked about like how customers in a downturn, like can save money and increase effectiveness due to GitLab. And because of that, in the last downturn due to the pandemic, when airline revenue was down 90%, we signed three global airlines Mm -hmm. because irrespective of how the economy is doing, irrespective of your cash flow, like you need to become a software company now more than ever. Last quarter, we grew 75% year over year, our net retention is over 130% and we told in the last earnings call, our order book in Europe has never been stronger.
0: And so in terms of how you think of an IT budget being allocated to DevOps, you like, is your core assumption that DevOps is non-discretionary in pretty much every company's IT budget out there at this point of time?
1: I think what companies want out of their DevOps budget is they get better tools for less money, that they don't need to spend all that money on integrating them, that The DevOps tools get more out of the current people they already hired because it's very expensive to hire more people and that the DevOps process is better able to help the entire company realize their business goals quickly and we can offer all four.
0: So let's move into some rapid fire questions. The reason I like to have them is just so that it gives an opportunity to, you know, go over stuff that we didn't discuss so far. So you can keep your answers brief. I'll start off with any misconceptions about GitLab that you want to clear on this podcast.
1: Yeah, I think we talked about one of them that we're just about Git and source control. Well, that's like 10% of what we what we do. The other one is that if you adopt a DevOps platform, it means that it's, it's a closed ecosystem. Couldn't be further from the truth. People adopt GitLab gradually and it, it, it plays nice with all the existing solutions you have. It's just a better experience to replace those over time. We're not forcing you to do that.
0: And what is one technology or trend that you are most excited about over the next two years? Yeah, we already
1: discussed like the move from DIY DevOps to a DevOps platform, 20 to 60% over the next two years. We're very, very excited about that. One I'm personally also excited about is the move from proprietary software to open core software, where you can look at all the code, you can contribute back to it, you, you work together. I think that's a revolutionary, both go to market and R and D strategy.
0: And if you had to take a guess on what percentage of workloads would be on cloud versus on-premise over the next five years, do you have a view on that?
1: I think it's, it's clear that most companies are moving to the cloud. Very few companies are are moving on-premise. So the direction is clear. There's, there's better experts about the exact percentages.
0: So, I mean, but you, you wouldn't want to position yourself for a mainframe type of a company or companies that are still running their critical workloads on-premise or on mainframes.
1: Oh, we we love those companies because they don't just have mainframes. They have mainframes and this and this and that. And we got great support from mainframes. IBM added Z-series support for GitLab. They contributed that. Like it's, it's with GitLab, you can work. You can do DevOps irrespective of where you're hosting, what platform you're using, where you're deploying the code. That is our core differentiate, one of our core differentiators. So we're, we're really proud to support use cases like that and tons of people use us on mainframes.
0: Who in your partner ecosystem could be a big source of new revenue? Is it more of the SIs or the hyperscalers or anyone else among the pure play best of breed players? I think right now we're
1: very excited about the hyperscalers. I think the, the GSIs, the global SIs, and uh, they're coming up, they have to make kind of a mental transition because they used to earn their money by making the digital duct tape between all the solutions. And with GitLab, that's no longer needed. However, with GitLab, you get an application and DevOps platform that supports many, many best practices and training the customer to use all of that is a great business, but they have to 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 shift their mindset and more and more are doing so so that uh, we see a great future in that too
0: so among the hyperscalers anyone in particular that you feel could contribute meaningfully in terms of driving that sales motion
1: i mentioned aws gcp ibm it's like children you all love them we we just won google gcp partner of the year i'm very, very proud of that
0: and so dev several tech ops is a market that we keep hearing from Every se- cybersecurity vendor out there. I wonder if this is more of a natural adjacency for you, or you think security will still be done by the pure play, you know, firewall vendors or the CrowdStrike Zscalers of the world.
1: We have the most comprehensive DevSecOps solution. So we do static and dynamic analysis of code. We do secret detection, code quality, API security, first testing, dependency scanning, license compliance, and vulnerability management all in one application and it's a resounding success it's the major reason that people buy our ultimate tier and ultimate is growing at over 100 percent year over year
0: so could that be additive to your net expansion rates the success of dev Se- secops for sure
1: it's it's additive because it's it's a reason for people to uptier
0: and then lastly in terms of you know just a multi-cloud sort of positioning. I mean, you've got all of the vendors, you know, whether it's Datadog or HashiCorp, and and they are all kind of positioning themselves in terms of the different parts of the stack, if you may, and I'm not sure if I'm describing it the right way, but how do you think, you know, your positioning is relative to Atlassian, Datadog, and, you know, HashiCorp, and all, all these vendors that are all positioned for multi multi multi-cloud are we more in a uh, like looking forward to a best of breed world or you think there will be consolidation in that space
1: so we're we're multi-cloud just like them work irrespective of the cloud you use I think with HashiCorp they're more infrastructure we're more application so we see it as more complementary but Atlassian if you look at their Jira product our planning functionality is more and more replacement for that with Datadog our monitoring functionality is very, very early, but we look at building that out over the years. And we, we have seen that if you use DevOps on one platform, one interface, one data store, it's much easier to use. It's you have a quicker cycle time. It, it brings all those benefits. So we believe that the DevSecOps space will consolidate.
0: And so I do want to ask one question around assumptions. And, and so what could go wrong with your assumptions? I mean, as a CEO, I know you want everything to be even better than your expectations. And so far you've been incredibly successful, but what could go wrong with your assumptions?
1: Yeah, there's short-term and long-term risks. Short-term, we have to make sure that our customers can depend on us, our support, our uptime, security, not getting breached long-term, most companies are suffer the most from things they do wrong. They, They get politics at work and they, 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 they fail to, they fail to innovate. They fail to listen to their customers. They fail to listen to their smaller customers. Those, those are things we, we should make sure we, we don't do.
0: You mentioned something very interesting, not get breached. So which public cloud are you deployed on and wondering, you know, uh, how do you think about just the hosting infrastructure for your products?
1: I think all the the, the known hyper clouds have an amazing track record in in securing their clouds. I think it's the the second tier clouds that 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 I'm aware of that where some have had major breaches. So I'm very impressed and with a lot too they have amazing teams working on that
0: anything else that we haven't covered which you want to kind of convey to the investors or just you know your customers
1: I think we've we've touched on the on a lot of of what makes lab exciting in in this call and I'm very appreciative thank you
0: Great. Thank you so much for your time, Sid. It's been fun having you on the podcast. Wish you all the success and thank you to our listeners. This podcast episode is available on the Bloomberg Terminal and also on all the major app stores. And if you have any questions, please reach out to bi-tmt at Bloomberg.net. Thanks again.